a true Sophie's choice in Pittsburgh where the decision is, yeah. is Mitch Trubisky ass or is Matt Canada ass? Which one do we fire <laughs> Canada or do we pinch Trubisky? What do you think? Who is actually to blame for the goings on in Pittsburgh? I think it's like both of them. Um, that's not really an answer. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> they're both ass. Um, yeah. <laughs> they're both, <laughs> yeah. both sides of the ass. <laughs> yeah. Two things can be ass. Welcome to Take Line. I am Jason Concepcion, once again joined by the incredible, the super funny, one of the greatest to ever do it, truly, Jamel Johnson. Jamel, how are you? I'm good. I got new glasses. Good to see you, brother. Come on. Went hit Costco hard. Let's go. We've got another great show lined up for you today. Maybe not if you're a Celtics fan or a fan of women not getting their names dragged through the mud. The situation between now suspended head coach Ime Udoka and the Celtics is still under some amount of clouds. It's hard to know exactly what's going there other than the fact that Ime has been suspended for a year. We're going to be joined by NBA staff writer for The Athletic, Jared Weiss, to help us talk about that. Week three in the NFL is now in the books. We're going to be joined by Kaylin Kaler, senior NFL reporter for The Athletic, to help us recap the third weekend of NFL action. But first, let's get to some of the things that have stood out to us from Media Day. We're recording this on Monday. It is NBA Media Day, which means... Lots of fun clips of NBA personalities giving comments that won't matter and we will not remember in two days' time to say nothing of two weeks. I'll start. First of all, I'm going to start with this, Jamel. I'm a Knicks fan. Hit me. Knicks fans and NBA watchers writ large have been critical of the Knicks for not engaging with the media, for not allowing their various players and coaches to be available to the media. Leon Rose has notably been silent for much of his tenure as the lead executive for the Knicks, but he recently went on and did an interview with MSG's Alan Hahn, after which I'll just say that it's fine with me if Leon never speaks again. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan and Zuri, play the clip of Leon from the interview. First of all, I just want to say thank you very much for your unwavering support. You guys are truly the greatest fans in the world. And I really think you're going to have a, you're going to love this team. You're going to love rooting for this team. That is, wow, the magnetism, the charm, the (laughs) sense of powerful personality. Just, wow. Wow, I'm knocked back in my seat. From Leon Rose. The sound of a man who has a warehouse full of rugs. Yes. (laughs) That he absolutely has to sell. That's right. (laughs) Or his life is over. Hey, everybody. uh, This is Leon Rose. Rose's rugs and more. And you're going to love how my rugs look on your floor today. When you walk on this rug, you're going to, I tell you what, folks, you are going (laughs) to like the way your shoes feel on these rugs. Show me your toes. I'm Leon Rose. <laughs> uh, anything stand out from, from Media Day for you? Uh, okay, well, off rips, Wizards Media Day, boring as hell. 
That's the way you want it, though, right? That is true. A nice, boring media day. I mean, the last time our media day was interesting, uh, Brad called Trump a clown. <laughs> hey, man, yeah. get in line, brother. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whatever. The big story this year is uh, Porzingis has a beard. That's what's coming. That, I thought something was wrong with my laptop screen. It <laughs> fucked me up. Using the touch screen too much? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was like, all smudged. And yeah. what the hell's going on here? Yeah, so that's that's us. The biggest takeaway for me is Patrick Beverly and Russ are best friends now. Uh, sure, I believe it. Hey, if you say it out loud into a microphone, I am going to believe it. That's right. Everything that I know about human nature and about emotions and about the way men feel when they are made fun of in public that's out the window now. It's over. These two men have sewn it up. They have bridged what seemed like an unbridgeable divide. And I believe it. I believe it. And I believe you, you know, I, you described it as <laughs> it's like, well, first of all, I said, I think that they should come out before game one, game one at home. I'm talking about yeah. crypto game yes. one at home at crypto. If that is indeed what they're, what they're still calling it. And I think Russ and Pat, should walk out to center court and embrace in front of everybody. I think they should walk out in front of the building with a red <laughs> and blue rag tied together, holding the rags. <laughs> Rob, Rob, like kneeling below the flag. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And then like James Worthy and like AD are in the background at that Burger King. In that photo, there's like a Burger King behind him. Anyway. Another thing that stood out to me was... Devin Booker kind of coming out as a Robert Sarver guy? Play this. I, Zuri and Ryan, play this. Uh, it was tough. You know, it's tough for me because, you know, that's not the, the Robert Sarver that I know. Um, it's not the Robert Sarver that welcomed me to Phoenix with open arms. Um, but at the same time, I'm not, you know, insensitive to everybody that's involved in the situation. You know, and I understand everybody's personal experience with other people are are always going to be different. Um, but it's tough to read because that's not the person I know. And so I, that... Why? Listen, everybody can have their own opinions about everything. It's a free country. That's part of what's great about, about the United States of America still. And for a limited time only, you could speak your mind about stuff. And I got to tell you, Devin Booker, what's on Devin Booker's mind is kind of, hey, Robert Sauer was cool to me. It made me think, man, this would be the worst version of winning time. <laughs> Devin Booker and Robert Soffer piling around the greater Phoenix area. Winning time, season six. Oh, man. Let's see what else. Uh, LeBron was asked about passing cream. He said that he would be humbled to do so. Kyrie gave a 15 to 20 minute preamble before answering mm -hmm. questions. Before sitting down. Before sitting down, and, you know, honestly, did seem kind of, he and Kevin Durant both seemed pretty clear-eyed about the situation with regards to their asking for trades, which was heavily reported on over the summer. Both basically saying, hey, the reason we're still here is in large part because 
I guess it's hard to trade superstars, and we acknowledge that. Which is such a funny, like, ah, oh, geez, I guess we're too good. <laughs> I guess we're too, I guess we gotta stick around now. Well, oh, Joe, brother. <laughs> I really enjoyed, I don't know if you listened to Ben Simmons' interview in The Old Man and the Three, but he basically was, uh, came out strongly in favor of Steve Nash, who both KD and Kyrie were as recently as a few months ago trying to get fired. I'm fine with that. Because I've, I feel like I've said it on the show before, and I'm going to keep saying it. Things were technically working. And they were working. I think you're absolutely right about that. <laughs> they were actually working for a lot of this time. If you go back to last year, the toe knuckle over the line, that was a good team that was winning games. And Kevin Durant was the best player in the universe. And it didn't matter that James Harden wasn't playing or was just coming back from an injury at the very end of it. It was just... It was going swimmingly, fantasmically. I agree with you. And I feel like, you know, it's like if I'm Icarus right now, I'm saying, hey, the wings got me up there. I know (laughs) how it ended up was not good. But let's not overlook the fact that I was flying. I got up in the sky. And that's true. They had a good team. Harden was there. (laughs) It didn't work out for various reasons. But what are you going to do? Another thing that stood out to me, Giannis, among other players, this has been, you know, various Euro basketball reporters have been kind of running with various quotes from NBA players, uh, mostly of European background, because the Euro Cup was over the summer, whatever the name for the, I forget the name. What is the name of that? Euro basket. Euro basket. Euro basket, baby. Euro basket was this summer. And uh, and a lot of players were talking about how much more physical the European game is. Here is Giannis. First of all, the game in Europe is way harder than the game in the NBA. I don't want to disrespect the talent in the NBA. is obviously way higher. But the space, you have a lot of lanes to drive, a lot of lanes to create over there. It's just more intense. Your thoughts on European ball versus the NBA game? I think there's a little bit of truth to this. I agree. Because I think in Europe, they're just playing basketball. Yes. And I think in America, we're playing basketball. And then at some point they added pro wrestling. Yes. So there's like a different kind of gamesmanship. Like clearly the refs are cheating. And I'm not saying that like overseas, they don't cheat. Obviously they do. I've heard of Italy. Right. I know how they get down, you know, but there's just, I don't know. I think because they put the sponsors on the jerseys, there's just a different obligation. We're moving too many units to play real basketball. That's right. Shake Shack makes a better burger, but McDonald's is selling a billion a week. Moreover, I will say this. It is a more physical game. They play a different style of defense. Obviously, the rules are different as well. Uh, we're not going to go into that now. But I will say, when you have talent the way the NBA has talent, you also move to protect the talent. You know, hey, Adam Silver does not want, like, Marco Markovic grabbing Giannis around the neck and throat every time he is driving towards the basket. He doesn't he doesn't want to see that. And he knows by hard experience because of the TV ratings, you know, in the 2000s and the various fights that were happening at that time, that that's not necessarily what the fans want either. They want to see a little bit. They want a little bit of wrestling. They want yeah, a little man. bit, a little bit of wrestling. Was it a foul? Was it not? Who knows? Hey, where is the logo? Let's make it the free throw line. What What are your thoughts on on your Wizards going into the season? I mean, the verdict's out. We've got talent. The talent is young. It's about time. We're right at the point where we're going to stop calling them young. I don't know how young <laughs> you guys are going to be after this season. 
can Porzingis stay on the floor? It's just all question marks. I mean, with what happened to Boston, maybe there's some things shifting in the East. The fact that Jalen Brunson didn't dap up. (laughs) 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 Didn't dap up R.J. Barrett at the picture day. Is there room for us? Who knows? Just a lot of questions. I will address this. That, to me, just shows you the amount of interest that there is in a particular kind of lens for the sport, which is, you know, we love the drama. We love the drama. It's literally on TNT. Was that an actual snub? I think he probably just, I think it's clearly innocent. But even if it's not, I think everybody's, people are going to love it. One more thing I will say about Nick's Media Day. Uh, Derek Rose showed up and did his interviews without a shirt on, in part to prove that he has lost weight because Thibs, who comes from the Pat Riley School, has put certain fitness guidelines into place. And I'll just say that giving our players body dysmorphia <laughs> is <laughs> maybe not the best way to go, but I, I'm glad that Derek is healthy. All right, up next, Jared Weiss to talk Celtics. We're recording this on Monday. It is NBA Media Day. You are probably being inundated with various clips of NBA players and coaches saying things. That's happening in the New England area right now, of course, as well, where conversation, as you would expect, is centered around the suspension of head coach Ime Odoka and his replacement by Joe Mazzulla. We're joined now by a person who has covered the Celtics since 2011, co-founder of CLNS Media Network, Jared Weiss. Thank you for joining us. What was the vibe at uh, Media Day today? What was the energy like? Vibe, great word there. The vibes were actually more immaculate than you would expect for, <laughs> like, gotta be the most awkward Media Day of all time. You just suspended the coach and it kind of feels like almost like a firing. Like a couple days before Media Day started under this incredible shroud of mystery, And that was honestly the main theme from this is the players are like, what the hell is going on? We don't even know. Mm -hmm. They got insisting that they didn't know. I certainly expect that, you know, the team could only tell them so much, obviously. But like they know they have at the very least, they have a lot of intel and a lot of suspicions about what's going down. And they probably have some inclination of how they feel they should feel about the situation. But their bottom line is they're saying the team has not told them exactly what's happened. And so, they have the team taking away their coach and they're not even sure exactly why. Well, can you just take us back to the beginning of this? I woke up a couple of days ago, I, you know, saw the Nia Long jokes. I didn't know what was happening. How did this begin? What led to the eventual suspension? How long was the investigation? Who was the investigators? Was it the FBI? I don't think the feds were in on this one. I mean, they said they contracted the law firm. It's unclear who that was. They said that... In about July is when they had it reported to them, and that's when they took action and hired a law firm to investigate, and they say they got the report from the law firm back on Wednesday. Wednesday night, that's when reports start coming in about what's going on. So they got the report on Wednesday. They needed a little bit of time to deliberate on how to handle this once they got that report, and all of a sudden, the clock starts ticking because it's out there. People are very, very wildly speculating about what's going on. And they have to take action real fast, but taking action on something that they can't say what they're taking action on for right. legal reasons and protecting people involved reasons and all sorts of stuff like that. So there's been so much more fallout from this than you would get in almost any other 
kind of you know situation where someone's getting punished in the basketball arena. Let's talk about the, it getting out there. So Shams and Woj initially broke the story. I think Shams yeah. had it first. His post was pretty sparse in terms of details, just that it looked like there was potentially a suspension of indeterminate length coming for Ime Udoka and that the Celtics were mulling this. Woj came in shortly thereafter. And I think a very important thing happened, which is that Woj pended the word consensual to his post that Ime was involved in some kind of a consensual relationship. And this is what has spurred the Celtics to potentially suspend him. We know, of course, that suspension did happen. Now, as you well know, Jared, as we all, as anybody who has any kind of contacts or any kind of like interaction with people who cover the league or involved in the league know that relationships are often how these stories are broken. And it seems to me that understanding how the sausage gets made, this is my read on it. I think someone leaked to Woj, probably someone who is related to Ime Udoka's, his side of things, CAA somebody, he's a CAA client. And Woj, Woj often breaks stories that are related to CAA clients. In an attempt to get in front of this announcement by muddying the waters, by saying, hey, it was consensual, whatever it was. And the result of that was like a 24-hour cycle in which numerous people who work for the Celtics, female employees of the Celtics, had their names like dragged through it, which led to, you know, Brad Stevens coming out besides Wick Grasbeck, the co-owner of the Celtics, to give really an emotional speech about how they were going to defend their employees and yada, yada, without really giving too much information. Is that kind of your read on the TikTok that the, the Celtics really had their hand forced here by the leak of this and that the leak, wherever it did come from, didn't come from Wick or Brad or the parties involved with that? It's funny because Wick Grosbeck specifically said that he was not the one that leaked it. Yeah, specifically said yeah, because he was talking about how traumatic this experience was for the organization and how they had to, they had this like awful balance to manage of what can we do to help stop all of the rampant speculation, the doxing of all these female staff members, of even some male staff members that were getting pulled into it that were had nothing to do with the situation. Like, how do we put a stop to that? Also, our obligation to protecting the people that are involved with this, having their confidentiality. So. I mean, their their decision was to keep everything under wraps. I mean, they refused to answer any questions about this investigation, about what went down. All they were willing to say was, I mean, they spoke a lot about how tragic the way that people in the organization got treated by the public during this fiasco while it was happening, and I think it's probably still happening, but they wouldn't answer any questions about the investigation, about what they uncovered. I actually tried to ask the most basic question I thought that we, I could that was of importance to Grospec, which was... Can you just say whether or not your investigation determined that Udoka's behavior harmed any other people or was just inherently a violation of policy? And he wouldn't answer that. And so mm. I think that was a pretty bold statement by them of him not answering that. It meant that they were drawing, they were putting up a complete brick wall on commenting whatsoever, anything whatsoever on the situation. And so who knows if they're going to continue to maintain that brick wall? But Grosbeck doesn't really ever speak publicly uh, except for like, on draft night or in some sort of massive situation like this. Brad Stevens, who knows if he's going to be speaking again or doing a press conference again in the near future. So at this point, it's on Joe Mazzula and the players to have to account for. That's who spoke at media day today, and that's who that's pretty much who's going to be speaking for the rest of the season as the situation drags out because there's probably going to be more twists and turns there. So 
I think everybody is just kind of left in this state of confusion. That was the main thing that the players were saying at media day. And it's really on the Celtics to provide some answers, but obviously they can only do so much to provide answers because there's some people here who at least seem to be entitled to the privacy of not having those answers provided. So why wouldn't Brad Stevens just go back to the bench? <laughs> he basically said, hell no. He basically said, hell no. Yeah, does that speak to how much he never wants to coach again? Like, this is an emergency situation. You have experience, but I don't know. I think there's a few things here. I think one, I think Brad probably doesn't want to go back to coaching this team after seeing the way that this pretty much same group, how things changed under Udoka after he left. I think he decided that he's not the one that coached this team anymore. And it probably doesn't make sense for him to go back into doing it, especially because if he does that, then the team basically needs another GM. You're leaving a hole in the front office at that point. Mm. And I think also it's that Joe Missoula is someone who is probably going to be getting a head coaching job really soon, either in the next cycle or the one after that. Like he was a finalist for the Utah job. He's been coming up a lot lately as a strong candidate. So I think they're looking at this as we can test out Missoula, see if he really is ready to be a top-level head coach. And if not, then we can either take her from there. There's obviously the window is technically open for Udoka to come back. It just doesn't seem like that's that, – it doesn't seem like there's a way for that to happen. But at least that gives them some flexibility. Missoula has a domestic battery arrest on his own record from 2009 when he was a college basketball player. Brad was asked about it and basically said, trust us on this. <laughs> yeah. A couple of questions on that. Is there any more inkling of what Brad's kind of calculus there is? Has he let any of that out? You know, how he came to this judgment besides like, hey, just trust me on this. And secondarily, Ime doesn't come back, right? There's no world in which he is sitting on the bench a year and a half, two years from now. I think the only way that happens is, oh, by the way, that would be July 1st next yep. year if that were to happen. That's when the suspension ends. That's when they got to have a decision on what they're doing there. I think that the only way that happens is if more information comes out that shows that he didn't do anything wrong. It seems like at the very least, the reporting that Shams has that we have out there at The Athletic is that he was engaged in a relationship. And that seems pretty widespread agreed upon with the consensus reporting. So a relationship in the workplace generally doesn't get you fired, but clearly there's more to the story than simply just that. So, you know, we'll see what comes out from there. But I would be really surprised with the way things are looking right now and the way that it seems like things may be unfolding, that Ujuk would come back. As far as Missoula's background, I mean, credit to Stevens, it was definitely more than a trust us. Like when they were defending the punishment that they gave to Ujoka, that one was a real trust us. McGrossbeck yeah. basically said, trust us. <laughs> I think he might have actually said that verbatim at some point. But with Brad, he went pretty into it. He talked about how he feels like Missoula has atoned and grown from his mistake in the past. I know a big thing with Missoula is that, so he was arrested for, it seems like grabbing his, the girl that he was seeing by the throat at a bar back in 2009, I think it was, when he was at West Virginia. And I know since then, he has really overhauled his life and he's become a very faith-based person and he's changed dramatically from everything that everyone's talked about. And it's been long enough that you could certainly imagine that he has atoned and he's changed from that. And I do believe that the charges were downgraded and eventually just dismissed eventually. So that's obviously part of it. So it seemed that he a huge mistake and was living his life irresponsibly at that point. And he's changed significantly over that time period. So enough that people along the way have been willing to forgive him and accept that he's changed from there on out. So I think at this point, they obviously recognize that that is something he has to address. And he'll probably have to address it more now that he's the mm -hmm. head coach because he hasn't really had to address it much because you're an assistant coach. You don't really face the media very often. 
people are really focusing in on this. But now that you're the head coach, it's like everybody's going to bring this up. Opening night when he's the head coach, I'm sure every news outlet in the country is going to bring this part up. So he's going to have to address it. And he kind of started to do that on Monday. I think he did a pretty good job at it, but he's probably going to have to talk in greater detail about what happens and how he's atoned for that if he's going to get everyone's forgiveness and acceptance. Hey, doesn't it feel like Danilo Gallinari got hurt six years ago? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Do you even remember he was on the team? I think he just did that just so he could avoid yeah. this whole mess. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't talk today. Was he ever really on the team if he got hurt and he didn't even show up at media day? Man, uh, yo, he teleported about it there, dog. If I were a Celtic, I would, I would have loved to teleport out of having to speak to the media today, that's for sure. Jared, last question. I, you know, this is a thing that I think a lot of people have wondered. Okay, clearly the Celtics think that there is some and a significant amount of truth to whatever the allegations are against him, considering that they have taken the step of suspending him for a year. So why not just fire him? Why not just fire him outright? Why take this route? I don't have any insight into this, but I think we can make some pretty good educated guesses about what are the potential motivating factors. And I think the obvious one is if this is regarding a workplace relationship, then there's obviously going to be legal concerns and legal ramifications about here. And so if they have just decided that he violated their workplace conduct policy and they obviously want him away from the team for a long time, then, and they were forced to act. The question is, how long did they know that this was the way things are going to play out? You don't know if they were getting updates on what's going on in the investigation or if they weren't allowed to know a single thing until the investigation was finally given to them. But you would imagine that they've had an idea for a while that this was a very, very strongly potential course of action that they were going to be taking. So. It seems like the suspension was, we're reacting quickly to how this, what we found out from the investigation, how this got leaked, and we're trying to find a middle ground between something that at least removes him from the team and allows us to deal with this, but also doesn't expose us significantly legally to firing him, because if he feels like he was unjustly fired, then he could take legal action for that. So that's certainly a big part of it, but I, I don't know if that was their motivation. That just seems, from the outside looking in, the most likely factor that has an implication on so why they're just suspending him for a year when then he would come back, it would have only one year left guaranteed on his contract where it's like how many coaches, especially really successful coaches, go into the lame duck year of their contract that doesn't ever happen and you can't extend a guy's contract when he is on suspension for workplace malfeasance. Right. So I think that's how they tried to navigate the situation. And I also think that there's just like, there's more to figure out about the situation, more yeah. to unfold about the situation if it becomes a legal issue. So I think the suspension basically allows them to continue to figure out how to handle the situation, but at least shows that they took it seriously and they at least got him out of there. He is Jared Weiss, staff writer covering the Boston Celtics and host of the Grant and Taco Show and Daily Ding podcast with The Athletic. Jared, thanks so much for joining Take Line. Appreciate you, Relic. All right, week three of the NFL is done. Tom Brady looking weird and not winning. Aaron Rodgers is scuffling by. Uh, some of our marquee quarterbacks in the league have really struggled uh, last weekend to help us unpack all the things we have seen is Kaylin Kaler of The Athletic. Kaylin, welcome to Take Line. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Week three 
done. Any personal highlights uh, from this weekend's round of games? Probably not whatever happened last night. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Whatever that was. Um, It was funny because after the game, they interviewed Russell Wilson, and he was like, that was a terrific game. And he said it like a straight face. (laughs) Yeah. See, that's why I dropped that fool. Yeah, he's... He's kind of ridiculous, but he he said it like he really meant it. And, like, yeah, he didn't mean that he played well because he certainly didn't play well. But I'm like, how could you even say that was a terrific game? The score was, what was it, 11 to uh, 9, 10? It was a a baseball score. It's insane. Um, Cricket score. The safety where Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, gets a safety because he goes out of his own end zone and – Dan Horlowski is like celebrating on Twitter because he's not the most recent person to do that now. I mean, I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is brutal. Um, yeah. So that, that was not the highlight. I don't know what the highlight, I mean, I guess like the dolphins honestly are a highlight for me. Mm-hmm. It's really fun. I'm excited to see that Tua is not in concussion protocol. That was good news today. Because that was kind of scary looking. Let's talk about that. The NFLPA has come out and, uh, and said that they want to investigate how it, what metric was used to get to a back on the field after what looked like a, a pretty scary injury on, on after which he had significant problems walking off the field under his own power. Um, any, any new news there to report? I don't think so unless I missed it, but um, you know, it, it's interesting. I think McDaniel said that he was not in concussion protocol today so so that would seem to suggest that they have checked him out and made sure that he didn't and they and they said after the game it was his lower back i believe was the report that that's why he was wobbling cuz his back gave out and he was hit it was a back injury which like i guess that could be um and if he's really not in the protocol this week i mean i guess we have to take their word for it but it is interesting that the pa you know, wanted to kind of look further. Cause I don't remember how many plays, like how much of that game did he miss? I was at the bears game yesterday. So I was kind of following along as it was going on, but I don't know how long he was actually off the field for. According to my fantasy updates, it wasn't <laughs> terribly long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It says they're initiating a review, but I don't think anything else has come out. They had him play one level of echo the dolphin. Yeah, he said his uh McDaniel said Te- uh Tug I told him that his back was like Gumby, that flexible cartoon character. Got it. <laughs> uh, current current reference for everybody uh <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who's younger than what age? Yeah. I don't know. What era yeah, was Like Gumby? literally like 60 years old. <laughs> That's a – Gumby was, I think, in like 1968. Anyway. Uh, Speaking of the 60s and the old men, uh, Packers Bucks. <laughs> the old men show. The old men show, another boring-ass yeah. game. Um, big win for the Packers, who yeah. struggled in this exact game last year. Uh, so good for them. Tom Brady looking pretty normal. Yeah. Does it seem like he's finally regressing or is this just a matter of time before he breaks out of it again somehow? Um, I feel like he'll probably break out of it because they were without Mike Evans. Mm -hmm. They were without Julio Jones. Um, 
they were trying to break in a few young guys and Colby Easley. So I think mm-hmm. it will get better, but I do think this is a really weird season in Tampa. And I, I certainly don't think that this is a Super Bowl team, mainly because Tom has like built his entire career and fortune and reputation on being like the most insane, all in, hardworking person with the craziest work ethic in the, in the league. And this year, you know, he misses 11 days of training camp. Mm-hmm. He is, it appears now practicing on Wednesdays, but there was that report last week that <laughs> yes. he was not going to do Wednesdays, but I, I think he is now doing Wednesdays. So he mm-hmm. changed his mind about that. But all I say all this to say that like Tom to me is not the same Tom this year. And I don't, I don't really mean like specifically his, his stats so far, which aren't the same, but they're not that far off. I mean, the offense is not good, but I do think it'll get better and it's only week three, but I say that I don't think he's the same person as his like work ethic and his like identity. Like, I think he is still unable to quit the NFL, but he's not, I don't know how you could be 100% all in if these things have come out where you're not at training camp, you want right. to take Wednesdays off. So I don't know what's going on with the Bucks, but it, it's it's a little weird to me. Kaylin, how much of his slow start is due to the significant uh, cranial stretching operation that he clearly <laughs> underwent in the offseason, yeah. after which it now appears that uh, an inch and a half to two inches of length have been have been grafted on to his skull. Yeah, he looks he looks pretty weird. Um, I wish people would talk about him. I wish people who actually played played with him right now like would talk about him honestly because I mean I don't know. It would just be so interesting to see what people think. And I'm sure he's getting like Gronk has to be making fun of him. Like, <laughs> has to be I know that he is behind the scenes like and Gronk is able to do that like he's earned the ability to do that with Brady whereas I think a lot of people who he plays with now probably wouldn't feel that way like that they would be able to kind of like rib him about that but I'd love to hear what Gronk is I'm just saying he looked he he labored when he needed to move in the pocket, which has not been a new thing, you know, in his uh, recent career or even, you know, the longer range uh, looking back, he's never the quickest guy. But it has to throw off your center of balance when you are <laughs> when you've gained an inch and a half to two inches of head length. Well, the interesting thing, too, is that he looks he looks thinner to me. So maybe he's because they stretched him out. Yeah, yeah, they, they, put the, they, put him, they put it in his skull. Yeah, that's why they. Yeah, I see. Like yeah. Gumby, <laughs> they stretched him out. There's another Gumby. Yeah, oh, yeah. there's Gumby number two. Yeah. The Gumbies play in Florida. Yeah. Both both guys in Florida. That's fair. Uh, okay, let me ask you about some of the, the the younger quarterbacks. Let's talk about some quarterbacks under fifty. Uh, <laughs> jo- <laughs> Joe Burrow, uh, his offensive line is still terrible. Uh, they finally get a win against the Jets, right? Yeah. L- Lamar Jackson lighting it up. But now the Ravens defense is ass for the first time in <laughs> yeah. maybe 20 years. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. And they've got the same record. 
who do you think is going to come out of this AFC North? Or it's it's early. Ravens. I think Ravens. Um, and I think I say that because I trust in Harbaugh more than I do in Zach Taylor and that staff. Um, Harbaugh, obviously he's got more experience, but I mean, this last game for the Bengals, it was good. The, the, the Bengals offense had like really struggled to perform on the first couple of drives of each game. They would get off to a really slow start for like the last year. So it was really good that they were able to score a touchdown on that first drive. And I think it will temporarily get people off of Zach Taylor's back to give up play calling because that's something that um, Bengals fans and, you know, us people in the media were bringing up over and over again is like, you know, is this an example of a head coach who needs to delegate that to somebody else so they could try to spice things up on offense and play a better full game. But I think this week was good for him to get us off his back for a little bit. But I do think the Ravens, I would pick the Ravens over the Bengals because I feel like the Bengals last year got a ton of breaks on their way to the Super Bowl that are just not going to happen again. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, the offensive line is just really not that much better for the work that they did to it. So, yeah, I think I I would pick the Ravens for sure. If any Bengals offensive linemen are listening, you know what you (laughs) did, dude. Don't even come on, guys. You guys are dogging it out there. Um, A true Sophie's choice in Pittsburgh where the decision is, is Mitch Trubisky ass or is Matt Canada ass? Which one? Do we fire Canada (laughs) or do we bench Trubisky? What do you think? Who is actually to blame for the goings on in Pittsburgh? I think it's like both of them. Um, That's not really an answer. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) They're both ass. Um, (laughs) They're both both sides of the ass. (laughs) Yeah. Two things can be ass. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I mean, Mitch, Mitch has played very similarly to how he's always played. So yes, I think he's actually not, I mean, he's actually doing fine. Like he's doing fine. Um, But they're not using everyone on offense. Like it's, they've had a hard time incorporating everybody. George Pickens is great. Um, he had a good catch this week, but um, they're not spreading the ball around. They're not really incorporating Trace Claypool the way they should. Um, what else are they not doing? I don't think they're getting much. I don't, it's, it kind of feels to me a little bit like Chicago where they weren't, coaching Mitch to his strengths necessarily. Um, So there's not enough like designed rollouts going on. And yeah, so I think both, but like it is a hard decision because it's like, okay, Kenny Pickett, their offensive line isn't good either. This is also another offensive line that's not good right now. So do you want to hurt your rookie that you – you probably want to build around. Um, no, but at the same time, I don't know. I could see like probably they're going to go for like two more weeks with Mitch and then make a change. I, I, I'm I'm shocked that Matt Canada is not the genius to finally unlock the full power of. <laughs> I know that has been waiting in yeah. Mitch Trubisky all these years. Some people like really believed that. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. And then uh, the, the funniest thing to me is that 
uh, Mike Tomlin all, I actually admire this about him, like all off season, every time he'd be asked like, oh, you find now, like first time you haven't had a quarterback and, you know, forever. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh yeah, I can't wait. I love this challenge. This is a great, you know, this is a great, <laughs> I think he used the word challenge every time, or I don't know what contest or like yeah. test or something like he kept phrasing it like this was this like epic thing that he could not wait to take on. And I was like, what? Like, you're not <laughs> fooling anybody. Yeah. I can't wait. Mitch Trubisky, I, this is great. We want this. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, like, you're not talking us into it. Just because you seem like you're into it, I'm not, I'm not getting on board. There's no way he gave him Black Air Forces. Yeah, no. Everybody got Black Air Forces, and he got some court classics. He did not get Black Air Forces. There's no way. Okay, I got I got a question about another sinking ship, the Raiders. Oh man. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. A team yeah. that I, I picked to win the AFC West on this program, and oh, I, wasn't, no. I wasn't on Quaaludes when I said it. I was sober. <laughs> <laughs> They're blowing money. Devontae Adams. Who knows what's going on? Derek Carr, question mark? They're 0-3. The sky's falling. Is there any way they can turn it around, or is it time to just blow it up immediately? I do think they're going to get it together. Um, They have a lot of different things going on. Like, they just haven't been able to finish a game yet, and hopefully, like, next week they'll figure it out. Who do they have? They had somebody who – oh, they have the Broncos next week, I think. So Mm – should be uh, a team. That's a team that you could probably figure it out against if you're going to figure it out. exciting so, television. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. I think Josh McDaniels, I think part of the problem is Josh McDaniels' offense is, like, really hard. Like, as soon as he left New England, they were like, we're cutting half of this shit out. Like, they, all offseason, all training camp, the story in New England was that they were simplifying the offense. Because McDaniels had been there for so long, and he just kept adding and adding and adding and adding and adding. And I think it got to a point where, like, nobody there even, like, knew what was happening. And so I don't know how much of that playbook went straight to Las Vegas, but probably a good chunk of it did. And I think it's just taking a little bit longer for them to really get a hang of it. Because it doesn't seem like Derek Carr is, like, totally comfortable yet. Um, and I do think Derek Carr is like an underrated quarterback. So I, I don't think Derek Carr is bad and he should be a lot better with Devontae Adams, but I just think he's not totally comfortable because Josh McDaniels offense is so complicated. Mm-hmm. Two remaining, uh, unbeaten teams, Philadelphia and Miami, which one has impressed you more? I actually got asked this question yesterday. We had a round table, um, with like some of our NFL writers at the athletic and I picked Miami only because they had a bigger turnaround in less time. In my opinion, Mm -hmm. like we saw some stuff from the Eagles last year, I think. And it's not like so shocking to, to see them have success. Um, But the dolphins on the other hand, huge turn. I mean, first year of the staff, whereas in Philly, you're on the second year of, of that staff. So, you know, to win your first three games against, you know, not, easily walked over opponents, especially the Bills, 
Which, by the way, I just have to list some stats that I could not get over Please. yesterday. Because, as I said, I was at the Bears game, so I didn't get to watch this game closely. And I actually want to go back and watch like the uh, condensed version that's on my list to do today. Because I looked, if you just look at the stats of this game, they had 90 offensive plays. 90! Wow. 90! Of those plays, 31 first downs, 400 yards passing. This is the Bills. We're talking about the Bills. Yeah, the team that lost. Yeah, the team, exactly. the, the team whose offense coordinator Ken Dorsey <laughs> went fucking ape shit in the box. <laughs> That's what that is why I say I have to I need to watch this game like like as soon as I get off this call because I don't understand what happened. <laughs> because the Miami had like 197 passing yards, so half of the passing yards, they had I think 15 first downs, half the number of first downs. And they only had 39 offensive plays, and yet they won. So to me, I mean, that's amazing to me. Just pulling that off is incredible. So yeah, kudos. Good job, Mike McDaniel. Uh, Tua, I'm still, I don't think he's like really turned it around. Him personally has turned it around that much. I mean, he's had a couple of the games are just kind of like mediocre, normal. Uh, So I'm excited to watch him going forward to see what more we'll see from him. Because I think as a team, they've been great. But I don't think Tua is like, has taken, you know, light years and bounds from last season forward. Jalen Hurts, on the other hand, has looked good Mm -hmm. in the first half of every game. In the second half, I don't think the Eagles have scored, they (laughs) might have scored 10 second half points this year. It's just weird how dominant they look until after halftime. I don't know. I mean, it could be like a, I don't think it's a play calling issue because if you think about it, your first two drives of every game or or at least your first drive is like a scripted drive that you've figured out all the plays that you've gone over it with your quarterback. Like, this is what we like. Um, You're all on the same page. But I don't know that I would say it's like a play calling issue. And I actually think they're handling their play calling really well there because Sirianni is not the play caller, which I believe is important and makes you a better head coach if you delegate that. So I don't know how to explain that, but that's a good observation. Hey, thanks, dude. <laughs> hey, thanks. <laughs> she is Kaylin Kaler, senior NFL reporter for The Athletic. Kaylin, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Are you needing a safe space to learn how you can get your mind right Tune in to Imani's State of Mind, a weekly podcast hosted by psychiatrist and TV personality Dr. Imani Walker and co-host comedian Meg Scoop Thomas, two smart and successful women and mothers, sharing their personal and professional experiences to help normalize conversations around mental health. This is not your average mental health show. Each week they break down what's happening in the news, pop culture, and their own experiences managing mental health. Together you will laugh keep it real and create a safe space where everyone can get help with their issues. Nothing is off the table. Dr. Imani Walker and Meg Scoop Thomas discuss everything from relationships with yourself, your spouse, and your parents to the realities of postpartum depression and anxiety. Do not forget to take a deep breath, find your calm, and get into Imani's state of mind with new episodes dropping every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. The first vote-by-mail ballots are hitting people's mailboxes, and the earliest in-person voting starts this week. Do you know how you're voting? 
If your answer is it's September, no, I don't even have a Halloween costume yet. This is the week to get your shit together, folks, at least on the voting thing. And then depending on how complicated your Halloween costume is, also on the Halloween thing. Voter suppression efforts have ramped up following the 2020 election, making it even more critical to ensure that every American has access to the ballot box. At Vote Save America, you can find the most up-to-date information about what you need to make sure your vote is counted in all 50 states and the District of Columbia. Use our ballot ready tool to request your ballot, find out how you can return it, or get a reminder for when in person early voting locations become available in your state. To win in November, it's going to take every single one of us making our plan to vote, getting involved, and reminding everyone we know how to do the same. Once you've made your plan to vote, visit votesaveamerica.com slash every last vote to find out what you can do next, including donating to the Every Last Vote Fund to directly support the work of community organizations, organizers, and volunteers in the states that are actively working to battle disenfranchisement in communities of color, including Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, and more. That's it for us. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to Take Line Show and check out my pop culture and entertainment podcast, X-Ray Vision, which comes out every Friday. Jamel, what do you have to plug? Air Buds is a podcast about basketball. Let's go. Sorry We Love Football is a podcast about NFL football. Let's go. Uh, I am Broccoli House on Instagram. It's nonprofit comic on Twitter. Uh, you can email me personally at babytelemundo at gmail.com. Good evening. Thank you for listening. Take Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Ryan Wallerson and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Drawer. Engineering, editing, and sound design by the great Sarah Alaska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Mia Kelman is on the Zoom for vibes, and the vibes are fantastic all the time.